Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. I learned the game with my brothers and cousins, with my friends and enemies. We had jacked-up shoes and mismatched socks. Our knees were scabbed, and we licked our lips, chapped. We were small, but we learned to play big enough to beat the bigger, older white kids at the rec centre on the hill which, to get to, we crossed underneath the I-40 freeway, across the train tracks, and through a big, sandy wash. We played bigger and bigger until we began winning, and we won by doing what all Indians before us had done against their bigger, whiter opponents. We became coyotes and rivers, and we ran faster than their fancy kicks could, up and down the court, game after game. We became the weather. We blew by them, we rained buckets, we lit up the gym with our moves. We learned something that was more important than fist, at least at that age. We learned to make guns of our hands, and we pulled the trigger on jumpers all damn day, and when they talked about the way we, we played, they called it run and gun, and it made them tired before they ever stepped on the court. Just thinking about a pickup game against us made the white boys from the junior high and high school teams go to sleep. While they slept, we played our dreams. Welcome to Cop On Podcast, you humdinger. My name's Owen and I want to thank you so very, very much for listening. Those opening lines were from a poem called Run and Gun by the magnificent Natalie Diaz. You can insult us on Twitter at CopOnPodcast. You can send in your malware to CopOnPodcast at gmail.com. You can support us for as little as one US dollar per month at patreon.com forward slash CopOnPodcast. Or you can make a homemade banner from a bedsheet and paint, urging people to listen to CopOnPodcast. And then you can wave this said banner outside your local post office, lockdown restrictions permitting. Without any further hoo-ha, let's do to this episode what any self-respecting fork-wielder would do to a pavlova, and dig in. Enjoy! Okay, it's Sunday, uh, as we're recording this. It's 3.34pm, uh, where I am here in France. Um, Everton are playing now, but... Um, I was just trying to think, I don't know, people say I don't give a shit, it's a little bit vulgar, but um, I, w I would say, you know, even though it's also a bit vulgar, I, I don't even give a fart about Everton, that's how little they mean to me, so I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted and overjoyed and, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a real pleasure that Brian is here from Hong Kong and Robin is here from London, uh, London, excuse me, I'll say that again, Robin is here from England. Whereabouts in England are you, Robin? I used to be London. Uh, I lived there for most of my life uh, for the first 35 years, but now I'm uh, 
in a little place in Lincolnshire. I moved out here a few years ago, but with the aim of perhaps going back to London. One, two years. Very nice. Okay, you moved away from the city. Okay, yeah, very good. Well, it's a really, really nice to speak to you again. Welcome back to Copon. It's been a while since your last visit, since your last um, time on Copon. All manner of things have happened, but um, Liverpool's Premier League record... Um, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, we'll get on to talking about 63 matches, which is uh, just nuts. We'll get on to talking about that. But I just want to look at Liverpool's Premier League record when conceding first since August 2018. Our record, 19 times we've conceded f- f- the first goal in a match. In 19 games, we have conceded the first goal. And we've managed to get 13 wins from those 19 games. Two draws, four defeats. There was another one yesterday, Robin, and this kind of result just puts the joy in me. How are you feeling today about those three magical points? Well, it might have been a while since I've been on Coppon, but some things don't change. Our home record is still there. We're still top of the table, so... um... Things are still rosy in that sense. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it's good. Um, the the winning, recovering points from losing uh, position. That's a really good stat. So that's what forty one points. If I, if my maths are right, um, forty one points from losing positions uh, in the Premier League since uh, August two thousand eighteen. That's very strong, and I think we were the best in the Premier League for for that stat. So we felt this uh, many times, especially over the course of last season, where you feel as though the game might be going away from us, but there was this quite steely uh, confidence knowing that this particular squad of players um, have the blueprint and know-how uh, a mentality to turn that around to uh, recover, recovering the games to uh, draws or mostly wins. 13 wins from 19 is a, is a good is a good stat. Um, but I'm good. Um, I think the uh, the football this season from Liverpool have been playing is not as scintillating as last season, but I think that there's been a number of factors for that. Um, and uh, the good sign is we're, we're top of the table without really kick-starting our season. There's been a few good games that we've had, but um, we just gained the points on the board. And when, when the rest of the team all recover back from injury or we start playing the football that we know that we can play, and we're in a good position, we're top of the table, then it can only it can only sound better and only feel better in, for the future. So it's um it's very promising and encouraging and I'm I'm looking forward to it. Fabulous answer. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about the blueprint. Um we've we've uh, you know we've we've actually you know printed that design. We three D printed four wins out of seven matches already this season from losing positions, Brian. How did that one feel for you? Um, it, you know, it, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was frustrating and um, enjoyable all at the same time. I think um, somewhere along that game, I had to remind myself to enjoy the grind because it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be a grind and the grind can be fun as well you know and the nature the nature of the beast when things are not perfect and you know you've got players out injured and you've got new players coming into the system and all this kind of stuff it's not going to be perfect and i just had to stop myself from like bursting a blood vessel a, a couple of times and uh, you know the, the the main thing is i i trust the team 
and I trust the manager. And even though when we went down that goal, you know, it was, you know, it was infuriating. I just felt, you know what, sometimes you look at the team and not, the way they're playing, you think nothing's going to happen today. But I didn't get that feeling yesterday. Um, and uh, yeah, just overall, it was it was enjoyable. The second half was a lot more enjoyable than the first. But uh, it, it felt like a it felt like another important victory because um, whilst we have all of these players out missing, and um, you know we're down to the bare bones with with our centre backs, and uh, we may not be playing the best football we've ever seen, we're top of the league. And that must scare the absolute life out of the rest of the league because this is crap Liverpool and crap Liverpool are top of the league. <laughs> You're damn right. I mean, it's, it looks lovely, doesn't it, to be up there uh, right at the top. Um, um, yes, Robin, uh, Diogo Jota came on and he scored the second winner. Uh, in as many games, uh, for you know, for if you count just the Premier League, of course he did it against Sheffield United last week. Um, so he he became the first player to score in three in his first three Premier League games for Liverpool since Luis Garcia in two thousand and four. Happy Halloween to the ghost goal man himself, Luis Garcia. Um, and he had one chalked off, uh, which we can talk about later as well. But Diogo Jota, man, the M celebration, I don't know what it means, but uh, he's marvellous, isn't he? Yeah, he's impressed me. Um, I didn't expect him to make such an impact so quickly. Um, I think when we signed him, I think most people would have um, thought he's a decent player for Wolves. Um, but whether or not he'd be able to come in and ruffle up the front three, which we arguably would probably say there's the best front three in the world. Um, it's, it's a hard task, but what we're seven games into it now, and there's already talk in the media and amongst fans whether or not Jota should be starting ahead of um, Firmino. And um, that's that's a big, um, that's a big statement. Um, whether or not we agree, we can discuss that, but um, it's a testament to Jota and how well he's slotted in. He just adds that extra threat for goals um, and it's important goals he's picking up as well. It's not just the fourth goal on of a 4-0 a win. He's getting um, match-deciding goals. So it's been very promising. He gets into the right position. He's got good pace. He's strong on the ball as well. Um, and he dribbles and he's, um, he's confident. Um, and getting in the right position where the ball lands to be able to put it in, that's that's a, a very hard knack. Um and I'm quite impressed by him. Um, and he can only get better. He's 23 years old or so. Um, so his best years are hopefully still in front of him in a red shirt. Um, but it also perhaps provides a little bit of competition. So knowing that the front three can't really get too complacent. I think with players in the past like Origi or Brewster or um, uh, uh, Solanke that we used to have as well, I didn't think they scared the front three. So but now we think that... Um, uh, the the best front three minus Salah and Firmino do need to um, make sure that they are uh, at the peak every game because there's players in the wing trying to come back and um, take the position. But I've been really impressed, really, really impressed. And um, him and Shakiri as well. Um, uh, I think we'll talk about Shakiri in a bit. But uh, Shakiri started off um, as somebody who this season most people were resigned to losing. And the last couple of games, I think he's shown um, what we've forgotten about him, that he's actually a class, class player. I remember that goal he scored against Lincoln, that free kick. That was an amazing goal. And now he's um, providing those assists and something different to the game. So 
Um, it's nice that we can uh, lean upon against the squad that we have, which is um, a bit th- a bare thread at the moment. Um, but Jota is a good signing. I think most people were surprised by the price that we paid. I don't think many people would be uh, arguing his quality. But it's a lot of money to play for somebody who is not an automatic starter. And we could talk about the inflated principal market prices at the moment. But £45 million is a lot of money, especially when at the start of the season... We were led to believe that Liverpool hardly have any money and it's mostly going to be um, uh, to sell, to buy. And I think the business deal that we got to try and finance the deal has been very encouraging to get a player of his quality. And these um, wins and these uh, match-winning goals that he's got, he's already starting to pay it back and we're we're only um, in a fledgling part of this season. So I'm I'm really happy about Jota. Yeah, totally, totally. And, um, you know, I was listening to uh, the brilliant podcast In Our Time with Melvin Bragg earlier, and he was talking about a physicist called Paul Dirac, and um, I'd never heard of him before, but apparently he, he's one of the greatest geniuses of the 20th century. And according to the experts on, on the panel and in our time, Paul Dirac deserves to be, you know, put up there with, with, with Einstein as one of the great theoretical physicists of all time. And um, I would add Michael Edwards to that list to make a sort of trinity because he deserves it for that that smoke screen that Liverpool are broke um, I'm sure that's what governments try on us but I'm not going to get into politics I promised myself I wouldn't today um, Brian, the super subs Jota, Shakiri, what do you reckon? <laughs> yeah um, yeah, I, I, I concur with uh, Edwards he's uh, he's yeah, he's on he's on a different level, right? He's he's in the matrix when it comes to picking players at the moment. Um, yeah, they're great, brilliant, just perfect. I mean, I I love Shakiri. I've always loved Shakiri. I love Shakiri when he was playing for other teams. I've just I just like him. He's he's great. He's one of those players who I think if he got a run of games, um, could really really establish himself as you know like like the player that everybody thinks he is or, you know, reminds everybody just how good he is. Um, but even if he doesn't get a run of play, he's still brilliant. He's one of those players that, you know, he can come into the team and make a difference. He doesn't need to have three or four games just to get up to speed. He, like, for as long as I've been watching the Premiership, he's one of the most creative thinkers on the pitch I've ever seen. He That pass that he, 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 uh, he just he kind of like um, arrowed in or when we arrowed in, but that pass is so typically him. It's like, there's only, there's a certain breed of a footballer that sees that. And he's one of those special players and the pace on it was just sublime. And it was just like there, it's like happy Christmas score. There's a goal for you, you know, any striker worth his salt. It's just a tap in basically at that stage. And uh, when he comes on, that's what I expect from him. He's got that in him and he must scare people as well because not only does he have that ball, but he also has the, he has so many through balls. He sees things that other players doesn't. Um, and, you know, just brilliant. And then Jota, oh, what can I say about him? He's just perfect. He's perfect. And he's the, exactly the right level to shake things up. Would you start him, Brian? Would you start him ahead of uh, Bobby Firmino in any of our two two upcoming matches against Atalanta or Manchester City? I don't know if I would start him. I think I was listening to a couple of the other shows today um, just to try and 
make sure I'm not talking absolute nonsense as usual. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, one of the, the other pundits was like saying that uh, she made a good point that um, he's very effective coming off the bench, um, especially after Bobby's been running people ragged for like 60 minutes or Bobby's been pulling people in and out of position and whatnot. And so... Um, I don't know. I don't know. Look, I think he's a, he's a, he's a great player and he's got a huge future in Liverpool. All I know is that when he comes off the bench at 60 minutes, it's it's bad news for the other team because he's direct, he's he's fresh and he's just as good as the well, you know, he's he can be as good as the as the other three and he's got a point to prove. The other guys are like established world-class players and you know, they're living the dream. He wants a taste. He's hungry. And there's there's a little <laughs> to use my favorite analogy, blood in the water. <laughs> I gotta stop using that analogy. But uh, <laughs> you can use uh, it every week. It's okay. Every week, right? Yeah. It's like uh, um, uh, Bobby, bless him, is not having a great time at the moment. And Jota is right on his heels. Right? He looks at him, and and as Robin correctly pointed out, up until this point, like there's never been a player outside of those top three that was anywhere near those guys, not even in the same zip code, you know, and this guy immediately is, he is in the same zip code. They all know it, you know, and he looks just like, um, he just looks like a, a solid, a solid character as well. He's, he looks, he comes across as very professional. He's getting on with it. He's not trying to do anything. He's just doing his job. He's showing up. He's, he's, he's performing his role in the team. The drop off is not there when he comes on. Um, somebody has some people have questioned whether he's as effective starting yet, anyway, um, as he is coming in later on in the game. But um, I don't know. I think I would stick with Bobby for um, the the Atlanta Atlanta game, and then and see how that game goes, and then based on that make a call for for City. But I would yeah I would stick with the same team, keep him on the bench. Interesting. Yeah, I'd have it. I'd have it the other way round. I'd, I'd, I'd definitely play Bobby against City, but I would play a sort of experimental-ish lineup against Atalanta. I don't know, Robin. What do you think? I, I, I think I would agree with you, Owen. I would play um, Jota for the Atlanta game um, because Bobby, he might be not on bang on form, but we've known him for a few years. The guy is pure class and. He gives such a good shift uh, whenever he plays. And, you know, the whole team is going to be riled up for the City match. They're our biggest premiership rivals. We've, I think um, uh, everybody will be fired up for that game, including Bobby. And we need that tenacity and that hard-working grit that Bobby will show. Whether he gets a goal or not, that's um, that's debatable. But we know that he will give it his all. And we've seen it for many seasons and I think we need that. So he, he probably just needs one moment in the match, one goal, one assist, something to fire him up, and then he'll go. He can easily go on a spree of being awesome again. So no disrespect to Jota. Um, I think he's got a really bright future ahead of us. But Bobby is um, <clears throat> tried and tested. I think um, I'd go for Jota now and um, Bobby in the Man City match. Um, Brian mentioned something about um, uh, how he's fitted in and is right on the heels of the front three and we wouldn't have thought about that at the start of the season what we were talking about Mbappe at the start of the season he was probably the only name that we can think of Mbappe to break up the front three um, even Timo Werner when we were discussing him at the start of the season we didn't all um, 
agree that he was ready enough to uh, unsettle Mane Salah Firmino. He was on the fringes of breaking in as a as a sub player to come on. Exactly what Jota is now, but he's he's done the trick. He's doing really well. Um, he's got the Premiership uh, experience, which Timo Werner still have to learn. And there's no guarantee Mbappe would have come into Premiership and be effective. I mean, we we think he would be with the with the class he has, but how much more millions would we have to pay for him? So I think he's achieved that status. Jota's achieved that station, uh, status in a very, very quick time, which has surprised me and maybe other fans as well. So um, long may it continue. Yeah, totally, totally, absolutely. De- uh, Diego Jota's fourth goal for the club in four matches basically if you if you if you look at the stats i don't have them in front of me but what i do have in front of me are some stats for the cube the uh, the game cube the cube um you know a, a, um a cubic peg for a cubic hole Cherdan shakiri is this his year the power cube that was it that's his nickname um he played in his first, sorry, in his last season for Stoke City, he was at Stoke City for three seasons, and he left them um, in at the end of 2017-18. He played 36 matches. He scored eight and assisted seven, which is excellent, really, for Stoke City, who are, you know, strugglers usually. Usually, you know, in any any given season, unfortunately for them. Then he joined Liverpool, and um, he played in 24 matches but he only started 11 of those um he scored six times and assisted three which is also very good but then last season this is why he's the forgotten man um well going back to you know his last season at Stoke those 36 matches that he pl- he started uh, for Stoke City was 3039 minutes okay and then in 1819 he was down to 1000 minutes and then last season 185 minutes of football in an entire season at age 27 he mentioned it in his post match uh, interview with LFC TV it was really good because i loved it because he was smiling he was happy you could tell he he loves the club. He loves being there. He, he did another interview before, I think just before the window closed, where there was all this speculation around him. And he said, no, 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 I'm a Liverpool player. Don't worry about it. I'm a Liverpool player. He was talking about coming back from injury, that he feels good now and he's ready to make his mark again. And it just looks like he's hungry. He's brilliant. And uh, so now, I mean, you know, one start in the Premier League. Uh, sorry, one match in the Premier League off the bench. That pass, I've seen it about 50 times on a loop. It's out there on the interweb. Go and check it out. Watch it on repeat because the GameCube, the Power Cube, uh, the cubic hole for the cubic peg or whatever. Um, he's he's with us. He's with us this season and he's going to be big. Uh, some of the stats, the player stats from yesterday, 2-1. Uh, West Ham, I mean, of course, they... they, they Moisey, bless him. Um, a 5-4-1 formation on paper, but the reality was like, you know, the four and the five were basically glued together. So it was like a back nine. It's tough, Brian. You said it. You you didn't enjoy the first half at all. I understand that. But, uh, you know, when, when a team plays like that, it's just really, really hard to break them down, especially when, you, when you're missing Thiago. And, you know, it's, it's I think we did, you know, admirably enough uh, but I don't know what do what do we think about what I'm happy about about yesterday is that we beat the negative 
tactics? Because I think that that's something that's very important for the game of football itself. What do you think about it? Yeah, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I, I think we, we beat the negative tactics by being brave and being creative and being direct. Um, and, and, and only when we did that, where did we make any progress at all? Like the first half was really, really frustrating for me because basically West Ham or Moyes FC came and did what we all expected him to do. It's no surprise. They didn't pull up any kind of tactical genius move. And as, as you say, it was a back nine. They, they're playing narrow. I mean, it's like, it's Jesus, it's ancient football, right? And men behind the ball, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's what, that's what they're doing. And it, like, it takes the pace out of the game, you know, all, all, all very good. And, and really the only way you, you beat that kind of system is um, by trying something, by taking a man on, by being a little bit direct at times, by cre being creative. Um, I mean, it was noticeable, I think, I don't know what time it was. It was like 30 minutes and we, we hadn't even, we didn't have a single shot on goal. Uh, there was no attack. There was no danger to their goal at all. And like Mane, I mean, every time that guy gets the ball, it's like, it's on straight away. Like you, I felt so sorry from yesterday because I was just watching the ball go from side to side and side to side. I'm like, oh, this is painful to watch. And I'm thinking... Just get the ball to Manny. Somebody find a way to get that football to Manny. And the minute he got the ball, I can't remember when it was, he started to drop deep. The minute he got the ball, off he went. And it was immediate. And every single time he gets the ball, he tries to do something. Even when he's not trying to do anything amazing, he still does something. And uh, it makes the opposition think. And, you know, if you look at uh, Shakiri's uh, path, that's the kind of thing you need to do against somebody playing low block like that. You have to kind of, you have to be creative. You have to, um, I mean, I'd rather them, I'd rather them be a bit more adventurous at that end of the pitch and lose possession um, than just being obsessed with keeping the ball um, and then moving it around and moving it back and moving it around, and moving it back. I mean, there's probably some method to the madness. I mean, it's most likely it's no accident that we win most of these games in the second half, you know, uh, when the other team's legs are starting to go because we've been moving left and right for, for the first 45 minutes. But, um, yeah, I just found it was like it was a different game second half. We were trying a lot more things. When Shaq and Jota came on, you know, it, it turned it up a notch again. I'm sure it's a it's a strategy of of, of Klopp's. Uh, another thing I I noticed yesterday. I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but which I found infuriating as well. Um, so you know we we have ridiculous possession, and uh, the idea when you play against Liverpool is when you get possession, when you turn over possession from Liverpool, you hit them fast. And so you know we're dealing with counter attacks. That's you every week, like some some teams trying to counter attack on us. And they're all direct. They don't waste any momentum. They go straight down. They don't second think anything. They just knock the ball into the mixer. And maybe some, you know, maybe somebody's on the end of it. Maybe maybe someone's not. Um, but, you know, in every game that I watch, we also have those opportunities occasionally from time to time. And we had a few breaks in this game. And, and we're breaking, we're breaking, we're counterattacking. And a couple of years ago where like Bobby and uh, Manny and Salah, they would just 
just run straight that they, they, they would just run straight to players there would there be no i there would be even the smallest hesitation it would just forward 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 uh yesterday and a, and a few other times you would go forward 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 and we just get to the box and it just stop and they turn back and they pass the ball back into the middle and i'm like no <laughs> keep going forward just have a go but um you know overall the game is great i enjoyed it like i say i had to remind myself Things are not perfect. Enjoy the grind. It's going to be great. It's going to be messy. It's going to be a battle. Um, but, you know, overall, you know, the, the spirit and the, the belief that we have to find solutions to these problems is just immense. And, uh, you know, so, I, I mean, I don't want to be too down on, on, on the performance because, you know, the, the first half was, was a little bit frustrating. But overall, it was, it was, great. It was a great three points to, to grind out. Brian, yeah, I, I sorry, I mean, Brian, I agree with you. I had exactly the same thought. Or when when they were breaking on the counter, and and the momentum just died down. In yesterday's match, I thought exactly the same thing. And I remember back. Do you remember when Salah very early early on, he scored that last goal against Arsenal, and he ran most of the length of the pitch. Um, and there's an amazing tunnel cram uh, picture of Salah just sprinting away, and ten seconds later, you've got the pack trying to chase him. I remember that goal. Uh, it's quite iconic goal, and and I remember I remember how fast we were from our pitch, from our goal, to their goal and scoring. We got quite a few goals that way. We we don't seem to do that much anymore. You're right, but I do believe what you said is that um, the new modern way of um, playing includes a lot of defenders and getting a lot of men behind the ball, and Liverpool just have to evolve um, to try and break through these low block teams, and I think that's where players like Naby and Thiago uh, and Ox when he uh, finally gets back. Um, those are the kind of players to try and break through the lines and, uh, along with Shakiri's um, uh, brain as well. Um, but I, I thought the same as you. Yeah, you know what I think it is? I think what it is, I think it's, it's so hardwired into our philosophy and our psychology as football players, as a team, not to give the ball away net cheaply. We look after the ball the best I've ever seen. Like you just you just don't get the ball back from Liverpool, so it's become second nature. It's become um, muscle memory for these players. Whereas, like early on in Klopp's tenure, it wasn't about it wasn't exclusively about keeping the ball and just squeezing teams to death. It was it was all different types of things. It was rock and roll football or heavy metal football, as he called it. But now I wouldn't say our football is heavy metal football. It's just a pressing. <laughs> Uh, football and amazing creativity and so I think sometimes when we're breaking at speed that split second of hesitation it, it just kills things and I'm thinking well how come these crap teams you know with all due respect um, you know break on us and and go direct and 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 occasionally profit from that and then we have the best strikers in the world, the best attack in the world, and we are second-guessing ourselves. And I think some of the times when, when these like lesser teams are breaking on us, some, one of the reasons they sometimes they pull it off is because we know that they're not going to stop. They, we know that they know that this is one of their few chances they're going to get this particular game. So they're going to go for it every time they get a chance. They're not going to stop. They're not going to start to knock the ball around. They know they're not going to get the ball again for like 10, 15 minutes. So they're going to try everything to get a shot on target or to do something at the goal. Um, and I think that puts the fear on in, in our players in some respects. But then when we go down the other end, you're right. That one, that Salah goal, that comes to mind where, you know, you could, 
you know, those Sky Sports graphics where they just put the stopwatch on <laughs> from one end to the other, and it's like <laughs> six seconds or five seconds. I think, I mean, I'm sure that Klopp hasn't told them to don't do this. Like, you know, if you're not, you're not sure it's on, stop. I just think it's something that they're unconsciously doing at the moment. But I was like, I was screaming at the television, like, no, don't do that. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. I see where you're coming from, but I think it's always the right thing to do is to make the right decision to keep the ball if they get enough, if the opposition get enough players back. Now, I sort of disagree with you both here because I think we do still have that counter-attacking thing. And even yesterday, uh, the speed that we broke... um, for uh, there was a big chance I think it was was it four nails or someone had a big chance for West Ham and we broke and it ended up in um, a shot I think it ended up that was the one that ended up in in Jota's disallowed goal for for VAR Um, that that and it was really it was lightning quick I just think that the other teams them they they don't give us enough chance to do that because they keep for one, they they keep enough players back at all times because they're they're so scared of our counter attack. And number two is that in play, they just you know they don't even bother to attack us a lot of the time. And like you say, Brian, like the upshot of keeping the ball, of slowing it down and recycling it, and you know, is that uh, they don't touch the ball for ten or fifteen minutes, and I think I think it's a good thing. I think it's I think that's part of the evolution of the team is to show patience with the ball and to keep the ball. Um, I was just looking at some passing stats from yesterday as well. I've got them here. Um, I mean, as you would expect, the way that West Ham played with parking the bus. Um, we had a lot of the ball, but uh, Jeannie Vinealdon, for example, had seventy-four passes. And his passing accuracy was 97.3%, which is wildly good. And also wildly good is Jordan Henderson with 143 passes, almost double what Genie did, and with a passing accuracy of 93%. It's extraordinary. Curtis Jones, 87 passes, 90.8% passing accuracy. Our midfield was absolutely bossing it. Um, you know, of course, that's partly how West Ham play with those big grocks, I believe is the Scouse word for it, is a great word for the big sort of burly, um, you know, de- de- um, what's his name? Declan Rice, not Damien Rice, the bland singer. Declan Rice and uh, and Sochek as well, uh, the the big Czech guy. Um and yeah, I thought I thought we did all right in terms of I think we were making. But as Brian was saying before, I totally agree that bravery. Sometimes we could be a bit braver and we could try something. Sometimes what I found in the second half was that we were making more sort of horizontal runs from um, you know from outside to in uh, from you know Trent and Robbo sort of position on the wing when when we were attacking, you know, uh, or when Mo Salah went out there a couple of times, instead of just trying to, you know, pass the ball back, we were sort of dribbling in a bit and that moved a cup, drew a couple of, of, of defenders towards the person with the ball. And because West Ham are in two lines, 
it sort of you know messed up their lines a little bit and created a tiny tiny bit of space and i think that's where the where the second goal came from if you you know like i said i've watched it about 50 times i do notice just look at the little run that trent did horizontally that just sort of you know created a bit of confusion in the west ham lines but anyway um, we've got so much to talk about from that match, uh, but I want to talk about Nat Phillips, uh, many people's man of the match. Um, he was probably my man of the match. Um, his defensive statistics for you. Um, he made zero tackles, uh, which might surprise you. Um, he had two interceptions, nine clearances, six headed clearances, uh, six recoveries, five duels won and eight duels lost. Um, his aerial battles he had nine aerial battles he won five of them and he lost four of them he said in his post-match interview that he likes a direct game as does uh, Sebastian Haller who was his opponent who was you know on him all game and Nat Phillips it was a Premier League debut at the age of 23 and it's a wonderful story you would think that you know Michael Edwards didn't receive an offer of 20 million so he decided that you know it's not worth selling him and robin he was absolutely magnificent nat or nate as Klopp calls him phillips yeah i thought he did really really well um he's a post-match interview he, he said um about he was concentrating on doing the simple things well at the start of the game while he um gets uh his rhythm into the game and i think that's exactly what he did he, he wasn't flash or try to do anything too clever and just to keep confidence he just got the ball and gave it to somebody else most likely genie or uh, henderson and i think he did that really well um i didn't realize until yesterday that actually how good he was in the air he's, he's, he's a big mammoth of a man um and he likes to challenge for that and he mentioned about that being one of his um, strong points and it's been quite widely um, advertised in the last few matches how because of um, VVD's injury, uh, we're lacking that dominance in the air, um, defending crosses and uh, balls that come into the box. And I think uh, that's probably why he, uh, Nat Phillips, got the nod before uh, Williams for the other position. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens with, uh, if, uh, if Matip comes back in a couple of games' time, if Nat Phillips can hold that position down. You'd think uh, Matip would get that uh, other spot, but who knows? Uh, I was quite, I was really happy for him. Um, it's a nice story as well of his journey of what he's achieved uh, up until this point and the opportunities that have come about this way. And he sees that moment to, to um, get that uh, performance yesterday. I think he did really well. I don't know. I don't think he'd be my man of the match. I thought somebody else did better, but we'll come on to that when we talk about man of the match. But I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant debut for somebody like him and um, the confidence he'll get from that. And I was, it was quite nice to see how uh, players celebrated along with him. You can see they've all, all, they've taken to him as one of their own and it's, it's, it's a nice um, chemistry with Nat Phillips there. So he doesn't feel like he's just a little guest that's coming in for a cameo appearance, which he may have done in the Everton match back in January uh, for that one-off game. Um, I hopefully he's been around, he'll stay around for a little while. Um, we were quite short in that department with uh, Lovren going in with the injuries, but um, it's nice to have somebody who's good on the air and um, can be um, 
bossing area challenges. You don't always have to make tackles to to be a good defender, um, although it helps. But as long as his positioning is good, he reads the game well. And I think the latter parts of the game, he came out of his show a little bit more. I think he he sprayed a fifty yard pass um, in the second half of the sec uh, in the second half, and you can see his confidence growing there a little bit. Um, and and um, he's he's a good backup option to have. I just hope. Um, he doesn't do something silly, and when he and inevitably, some all defenders will probably will do something silly. But I hope that doesn't knock his confidence. Even uh, Gomez yesterday, his clearance for the goal could have been better, but he had a decent match. And I think you might have to learn from that. And and the mentality is to learn from your mistakes, dust yourself off, and get uh, keep going again. And hope um, Nat Phillips can uh, keep like that. But he seems really grounded, and I'm sure. Klopp and the team will look after him to make sure his um, psychology is right for the next few matches. Yeah, great summary. Brilliant, brilliant summary. Exactly. Uh, Nat Phillips did brilliantly. Um, on to the goals, Brian. Um, the first goal, the, the the penalty, sorry, the first goal for, for West Ham, it was a big mistake. It was <laughs> like Fabinho made a big mistake last week against Sheffield United by sort of booting the ball at the Sheffield United attacker. Uh, Joe Gomez just headed it straight to them. It's a bad header. We don't need, as Robin just said, all defenders make mistakes. But I, do, I just want to move on to our goals. The penalty, it came from um, Curtis Jones, who played a lovely lofted ball um you know because there's so little space there to find Salah in the box um it was a definite penalty um you'd have to be blind or David Moyes to think otherwise um he didn't think it was a penalty Brian he said uh, he thinks Masuaku stopped because he wanted Salah to get a yellow card for diving and I and I just want to take this opportunity to thank David Moyes for being such good value over the years he makes us laugh he always loses and uh, I I love the guy uh, what do you think about the penalty Brian it was the right call wasn't it of course it was Jesus obviously it's like oh I just football is just driving me bonkers at the moment like I don't mind if things go against you these managers who come out and just talk absolutely nonsense like and that, it's not just the managers it's the pundits as well it's like he's in the box actually i'd like to talk to you about this as well because i think this needs to be addressed right salah's in the box the guy puts his hand on the shoulder now if salah went down because the guy put his hand on the shoulder okay there's, there's a discussion to be had there you could say okay that's a bit much you shouldn't go down whatever but the guy kicks kicks through his back heel <laughs> going for the ball i mean why are we even discussing this you know it's and the crazy thing is, it's crazy right and then you've got danny fucking murphy on match of the day going oh it's a bit soft and it's terrible you know but that's the way modern football has gone it's like what the fuck are you talking about he's like he got kicked in the ankle in the box and you know here's the thing if 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 Salah carried on, it's such a cliche, this has been said a million times, but it has to be said again. If Salah carried on and tried to have a shot or whatever, the referee's not going to blow the whistle and say, hey, you kicked him in the ankle, it's a penalty. Play will just continue. Players absolutely have to go down when they have to like signal to the referee, something's happened, have a look at it, you know? Yeah, and exactly. Until they change that, until the referees say, you know what, we are going to look at these things every single time. VAR should be looking at that, right? VAR should say, okay, that's a penalty. 
even though the player didn't go down, that's definitely a penalty because by not giving those things, you are giving the players no choice. The players have to go down. If I was a striker and I was in, I would go down. And if you're not going down, your manager's going to be screaming at you, going, why did you not go down? Because nobody's going to give you a medal. Nobody's going to, you know, you know, when people are saying, oh, he's the most honest striker in the league and he's got 10 goals and Liverpool finished sixth. <laughs> nobody's going to be clapping, right? It was a penalty. And I, I think, I, I, no, I'm just, I'm just going to butt in here, excuse me, Brian, because I, I think Liverpool have been top of the fair play league since Klopp took over. So you can win and play fair. And Mo Salah, yes, a couple of times he's gone down a little bit easily. But that was not the case yesterday. If someone stands on your heel, you're going to fall down. Of course you are. Of course you are. Playing, playing fair and... And the rules of the game are totally different things. We're not a dirty team, right? We're not a physical team. We don't. We we can beat people by playing football. There is not a team on this earth that we cannot match up with and say, yes, let's have a game of football and see who wins, right? Other teams have to be physical. They have to put a boot in, like those shower of arseholes last week, you know, diving tackles, two-footed tackles, because they have to try and level the playing field because they don't have the same levels of skill. And so when, you know, when I'm this weekend, I'm watching the football, I see that and I see people debating. I'm like, why are you even debating? It's so clear. And then there was another one, uh, Roy Hodgson. I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, the, the Crystal Palace game, um, his player gets sent off from the like the 88th minute and he goes two footed off the ground and goes over the ball and, hit, and goes into the guy's ankle and gets a red card deservably in my in my eyes right and then Roy Hodgson I think it's because it's late in the game he's going oh well it was a it was a it was a great game but I'm going to miss my player now for three games it's like of course you are the guy is flying <laughs> through the air unless he's like Neo from the Matrix he can't control himself in that situation <laughs> it's like I feel like I'm being gaslighted by stupidity uh, everywhere <laughs> you know and, and football is not you know it's 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 not immune to it as well it's, it should be so clear right he, he got hit in the box it's a penalty but of course right. people are going oh he goes down soft it just drives me mad can I just play um, devil's advocate for one second I 100% believe it's a penalty and, and, and the right decision was made I think what a lot of these um, pundits or media are having um, <sighs> any beef about is the way that he went down so I think when that ankle was kicked and it was a definite kick he planted that foot on the ground and he put weight on that and then he dropped. It wasn't a very natural drop. And I think that's what um, people would um, argue about. But I don't really care because teams do that against us. Um, we've had genuine penalty shouts that weren't given to us because we were we stayed true and tried to stay on the feet and um, we missed the opportunity. So I think the modern game, as you rightly say, you have to do play like that. Everybody else does. And if you don't, then you just fall behind. I remember Michael Owen giving an interview once. Um, the referee actually told him, Michael, you need to go down for me to give you a penalty like that because he was livid not getting a penalty. Um, the referees are whispering that into the player's ears that you've got to do something to help it, help me to give you a penalty. So I think that's the way football is. And, and we'll, we'll talk about this hundreds of times with other matches, with other players. Unless the rules change, as you rightly say, Brian, it's going to stay like that. But there's a bit of xenophobia about it as well, don't you think? I always think, you know, when it's foreign players, it's like, oh, you know, 
yeah. <laughs> like Salah, they're all over Salah for that, you know, and he's got, he's wrongly got this reputation of going down too easy. I was like, I mean, really, they should be able to address this with VAR because, you know, that's the, I mean, like, I'm a fan of VAR, right? I, even, even in its, in its, in its terrible state that it's now, it still makes the game more accurate overall, I think. Um, and VAR is, is, this is the areas that VAR should really be helping because the players have to, like, even the players, like, you know, you're like when you're playing top level uh, sport, you know, in top level competition, it's the very fine margins that you're trying to gain over your competition. And you do everything to get to, to get the win. So you see players who slow down uh, and, and draw the draw the foul. And, and it, you know, people can say that's bad, but that's not bad because it's working within the rules of the game. And, and and until the referees step in and and deal with those situations better, the players have no options. It, it's like it's not just Salah; it's every single player. As soon as that ball gets in the box, it's like everybody's on tender hooks because the entire team knows one single wrong move. And even in, if, even if you don't do a wrong move, the other player can be really clever and make it look like you've done a wrong move. But that's the nature of the game now, and it's not the players' fault. It's the it's the football authorities, the way they rule the game, the way they referee the game. They have forced the players into this situation because it's like it's so it's, you don't get into the box very often, and when you're in the box, it's it's like if anybody touches you, you're going down. And and you and and the thing is like you, I, I totally agree with what you said, Robin, about you know the way he went down and all that kind of stuff. I, I understand that, but again, that's also they have to do that a lot of the times because unless they make it really obvious, because Salah knows I felt something, I have definitely been this contact there for sure. I can go down in any way, shape, or form. Or I, it's kind of like you don't want to over-egg it. You don't want to over, you know, give a Laurence Olivier performance, you know, because if, if you go down too dramatically, the, the referee will give it the other way. But if you go down not enough, they'll wave play on. So where do you... I mean, they're football players. They're not meth actor, actors, you know? So um, I don't know. I mean, it's just... It, I don't even know why it's a debate because it, it, to me, it just looked like it went through the back of his heels. And so... It's a penalty. It's not only that, Brian. It's 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 Masuaku's reaction. The way he just looked, he looked guilty. He's the you know the puppy next to the, you know next to the empty bag from the butchers. You know he's he he was at, he, yeah he stopped playing. He stopped playing. And David Moyes after the match was like, yeah, that's because he wanted Salah to get a yellow for diving. No, it wasn't. You could see on his face, he knew he kicked him in the box. It was a penalty. Let's move on, though. But let's move on to a, to, to the VAR denied goal. Um, you know, uh, Sadio Mane. I, I agree with you, Brian. I do think VAR, even though it's run by absolute nincompoops, it still makes things a little bit, you know, if I think when it's applied correctly, it... it it's a, it's a real improvement to the game. Now, the Sadio Mane incident, I, I totally agree that it was not a goal because I think it was a foul on the goalkeeper by Sadio Mane. And uh, when you slow it down, you could also see, for example, that the ball came off Ogbonna, so it wouldn't have been of offside. These kind of things are so hard to spot in real life, you know, it's to give the ref some kind of, uh, you know... Uh, excuse. It is really tough. It's a really, really, really difficult job that they're doing. But uh, I think they got that right. Um, would you agree, Robin, that uh, that it was not a goal? 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it's not just the way that Mane went in. It, it was a bit fierce and he didn't get the touch on the ball. But I think the action of Mane going in also impeded their keeper, Fabianski, to get up to react to Jota's um, uh, goal. So I think that would have been uh, unfair to give us that goal. And it's easy to say this now, knowing that we've got the three points. I might have been different if it, if it, if it was still 1-1. But trying, <laughs> but trying to be fair, I think that probably was the right decision. Um, and I would agree, I'm probably a fan of VAR, not as much as I was at the start of the season, those few big decisions uh, with Everton and uh, Sheffield United, I think um, has annoyed me a little bit. And I think technology needs to, and the intelligence of people using that technology needs to catch up. But overall, I think um, on the balance of um, good versus bad, I think it gets more decisions right than wrong. And I think on that occasion, the money goal, the money foul for the Jota first goal was probably the right thing to do. But I hope the consistency they have is um, they, they apply it all throughout because um, what you see in one match isn't the same as another match. And I think that's what infuriates most of the fans and the public. Yeah, they, they, they've got a lot of improvements to do, but... Uh... If you look at the game today, for example, Villa against Southampton, I'm absolutely in neutral uh, in that one. And so you can just sort of look at the referee's performance from a sort of neutral perspective. And he was so bad. I don't know who it was. I didn't recognise didn't recognize him, but it was such a bad ref. But, but one thing with VAR is that even if, even if you've got bad VAR refs plus... A bad ref on on the field. Maybe two negatives can make a positive sometimes. I don't know. I don't know, but that's enough of VAR. Um, Bobby Firmino, we we spoke about him a little bit earlier. Um, Again, uh, he wasn't brilliant, but it it, it, it wasn't his fault, I don't think. I'm going to stay with you, Robin. Um, He had 79.4% passing accuracy, but only 34 passes. Mohamed Salah only had 32 passes. Um, you know, they they didn't touch the ball so much, but especially, you know, Firmino was being surrounded as he was by four players. It's absolutely difficult. It's a completely difficult job. Um, but more than yesterday's performance, if you zoom out to this season, I don't think he's been that bad. But he, has he lost maybe you know, 1% in his legs. Like, he just looks a little bit, you know, fatigued, maybe. that That's, that's a bit strong, isn't it, Robin? Possibly. Um, it was a tough match for him. There wasn't a lot of space. As you said, those five and four, uh, four um, uh, plays around him, they were, they were quite tight and compact, and they didn't give much opportunities. Also, he wasn't getting balls coming into his feet quickly. Um, Brian mentioned a point about how our build-up play was quite slow and methodical, so that zip pass to his feet didn't come too often, as we might have got from maybe um, Thiago would have done... Um, but I think he struggled uh, with the space, and if you, like you said, if you zoom out, it seems a little bit consistent with what he's been like for this season. Um, I don't think it's um, a sign of things to come for him. It's just a patch that he's going through, and I think it's good enough to to be able to recover from that. Um, there's a lot of teams that do flood the defence, so it's hard to get the space. And the few occasional times when the ball was zipped into him, you can see this. Uh, he's always thinking about a one-touch pass to Salah or 
creating angles uh, for players running past him. He's always thinking about being different. And what Brian also said about how whenever uh, Mane gets the balls, you don't know what to expect. With his low centre of gravity, he drops and he turns and he shifts. He, he just pivots on the ball and he creates opportunities and openings and uh, Firmino's like that as well. I think he just needs something to run for him um, and it will just um, open up again um, and start uh, being the brilliant Bobby that we do know. Um, all players go through this um, kind of patch. Um, the lack of goals isn't the worrying part. Is, is um, If he doesn't create or if he stopped working hard, that's um, when I would worry about that. But I think there's still a lot more to come from him. Um, and I wouldn't be too worried about that. Yeah, Bobby Firmino, we're going to keep the faith in Bobby. We're going to keep the keep the faith in um, the Bobby Dazzler on Cop On Podcast here. Um, yes, maybe he's, he's, he's well, I don't know. He just needs to put his feet up for a little bit, maybe. Um, the man of the match then, just the last thing. Um, I don't know, Nat Phillips. In context, I would say Nat Phillips because I was delighted for him. Uh, but the actual best performer on the day for me, I don't know. I've got two, but I'm going to... I'm gonna. I'm not gonna tell you who they are, Brian. Who do you think was the best performer of, in your opinion? Oh, it's got to be Nat Phillips for me. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's just I'm so happy for him. I mean, I even spoke to my my wife before I let's go. Listen, get this. This guy was just about to be sold to Norwich or someone. No, not even Norwich. I don't know. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday and. Uh, <laughs> As, as luck may have it, you know, just a series of events has just, you know, the stars have aligned perfectly for him. And now he's starting for Liverpool and he may get like three or four games. And I was just saying before the game kicked off, I was saying to my wife, like, if this guy can pull a performance in today, his, his whole life can change. And uh, and so I was rooting for him, you know, and um, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when Joe, you know, made that mistake or whatever, you know, it was it was just it happens. Right. Anybody. All defenders can do that. But anyway, when he did the fuck up uh, trademark, uh, it almost like Nate Phillips grew in stature. It's almost like took the pressure off him. He's like, oh, well, Joe's Joe's already cocked up. So I, I don't have to be worried about being the center of attention today. And he seemed to kind of like grow a couple of inches after that. And uh, he just reminded me of Cara, you know, just um, just nothing, nothing clever. Just get the ball. And I think we um, we did what what I expected us to do, which is basically keep the team away from our, our central defense as much as possible and have Hendo dropping back in there in the three or almost like a, a defender in his own in himself. And I just thought he was brilliant. And as the game went on, I mean, sure, there was better, there was definitely better performers on the pitch, right, who did more things and did more impressive things. But in terms of a story, you know, the guy's out there and he's playing his game and it's so important for him and for all of us. And he and I was just I was just so pleased for him. And and at the end, when you know people started to mention that he was man of the match, I thought, oh, it's just great, you know, because this is what football is all about, you know, it's the stuff of dreams. And he seems like a great guy. I've seen him in. I mean, he's been around the the the, the youth setup since 2016, right? And I never noticed him before. And I think it was this preseason or last. Maybe it was this preseason or it was definitely the last one. He was on the pitch, and I was thinking, who the, who the, who the, who the hell is that guy? He's huge. 
<laughs> Where did that guy come from? He's like, he's sporting a full beard. And I was like, I've never seen this guy. And he, he just suddenly grew into this massive man mountain of a player. Um, and I, I believe he, he had a very good season over in Germany when he went out uh, on loan there. So, yeah, just for the story alone and the pressure that was on him today, I thought I thought my, my, my man of the match goes to Nat Phillips. He was awesome. It's a great answer. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. The poetry of it, the beauty of it, of, of, of having a performance like that. Yeah, he, apparently he did do very well on lane, but that was in Bundesliga too, so Premier League. Um, a different level, but he just he stepped right up to the plate. Um, but he wasn't my man of the match exactly in terms of performance, as you said, Brian. He wasn't the best performer on the pitch. Um, who who was your man of the match? You alluded to earlier, Robin. <laughs> um, well, I've, nice mention to uh, Nat Phillips. I think the what you said poetically it, it's a nice story, and maybe this is a springboard that he needs in confidence to solidify uh, more performances into the squad and into the team. So uh, hopefully that works well for him. Um, I've got two players. I think um, the midfield two of uh, Wijnaldum and Henderson I was impressed with. I think Wijnaldum, he uh, found spaces so often. He took pressures away from the team. His twists and turns and creating um, uh, spaces of play is just excellent to see. It's one of those um, uh, unthank- it's, it's, uh, unthanked work that he does. He's just selfless and uh, great engine and I was watching the match yesterday and thinking I really hope he doesn't leave he's one of these players that doesn't get the limelight but he just knits things together I really like how he how he does that um and he hardly ever makes any mistakes always working hard for the team tracking back if somebody loses the, the ball it's just um a really really good player and I thought Henderson did well I think you mentioned about how many sideward passes he can make and, and the amount of accuracy of passes but I think there's a lot more in his game than that he he, he looks up and he tries always to find a very progressive pass forward to get the uh, game moving forward and if that doesn't work, or if you feel as though he weighs up the uh, the stats, or the um, the probability of that pass being effective, and if he doesn't think it's right, he doesn't do it, and he passes on somewhere else. And he's got that whip deep uh, cross that he does with his right foot when he's on the right side of the pitch, and he's becoming very good at that. Well, he always has been, but I think that's coming back into his armory this season again. And um, uh, he he did he, that led to a goal in the last match, and he did that a couple of times today. And, and that whip cross comes in so quickly that it shifts the play suddenly from very static and slow to something very attacking. Um, so I think both of them um, did really really well. So if I had to be pushed, I would probably give my man the match to Ronaldo. Excellent answer. Yeah, very. You make a very strong case there. Yeah, Vijnaldum was one of mine as well, uh, for the reasons you said. I mean, there was there was one moment where he was sprinting. I think it was probably about the eighty seventh minute. He made a sort of sixty yard sprint, um, and then uh, he didn't even touch the ball. But he 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 covered. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, no, he did. He covered. Um, uh, a crossfield pass that was on for West West Ham. They had this long diagonal, and Genie covered it, and he, you know he sprinted a, across to make that block, and it was so important. And the commentator that I was listening to was like, "Oh, you know, West Ham were unlucky, and they didn't even mention how brilliant it was of Genie." So I'd I'd probably give it to Genie as well, but my other contender would have been Sadia, the main man, uh, Mane, because. 
I just love watching him play. I think um, he's sort of got he's got fire in his boots this season. He's he's pure magic. He's you know you can't get the ball off him. Um, he's physical. He's dangerous. He's looking up. He's playing clever passes. He's linking up beautifully with Andy Robbo. And I just I he ah. Oh. He's so unique, his style, the way he uses his body, the way it looks like every time he's lost the ball, but he's just lulling the defender into sticking a leg out so he can knock the ball past him and spin away. And Sadio, I just thought his relentlessness typified the team. I'd probably give it to Genie as well, though, because Genie was just sensational. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. We'll share it. They can all have it. 2-1 to Liverpool. Fantastic. Again, we're going to zoom out. Again, we'll look at the big picture. 63 games unbeaten, Brian. Um, the last time that happened was uh, sorry, or it beat the record um, of uh, from seventy eight to eighty one of Bob Paisley's team. Um, do you remember, Brian? Do you remember losing to West Ham three nil in August twenty fifteen, the end of Brendan Rodgers? And who would have thought that in twenty fifteen, after Klopp came in? Uh, we would only lose four matches in his tenure and we haven't lost since 2017 now. Brian, this is a phenomenal record that cannot be underplayed. Yeah, no, it's like I'm in dreamland. I really am. I'm just, it's, being a Liverpool fan is such a massive slice of my happiness cake. <laughs> I feel blessed. I look I look at all those other poor fuckers around there and it just like when we lose one game, it just it, I'm I'm in a dark mood for four days at least, you know. And it happens so rarely that I, I you know, it's I'm just whistling most of the time. Football is such an important part of my life. And uh, I always remember uh that Rafa's time. Uh, at Liverpool, I was a I was a Rafa in kind of guy, uh, and uh, I just thought he was you know so hard done by by the the shower of idiots that were running cl- the club at the time. But I remember at the time thinking there'll never be another manager that I feel this strongly about, you know. And I just didn't know about Jurgen Klopp at that stage. <laughs> and then Jurgen Klopp, I mean, he's he's aspirational as a human being. He's so, he ticks every box for me as a football manager, as a person, as a philosopher, as a human being. He does everything correctly and he's, he's not perfect. He's flawed. He, he comes sometimes, he does the, he goes over the top a little bit and that's why I love him. And he's just great. And he, 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 he's like world class at reading the press and reading the, and knowing the question that's coming and being able to just, you know, um, navigate those choppy waters. You know, I think during the course of the season, uh, there'll be times when things don't go your way and, uh, you know, results don't go your way or, or whatever. And then the press will circle and they will ask questions and they will ask questions in a way that, that are meant to get certain types of uh, a rise out of you, et cetera. And, and time and time after, again, you see all of these managers falling into those traps. And then once they do, it's, it's sometimes it's very difficult to get out of those, those narratives, you know, that the, the, they tend to run for weeks and weeks. And I think you look at Jose, I mean, uh, Jose Mourinho, I mean, he's, he, he's, fallen prey to it when it was all going well it was great but as soon as it started to go wrong the press were all over him and just were relentless 
And uh, I think Klopp, uh, you know, he takes so much pressure off the team as well. Um, uh, uh, the way he manages everything, and he's such a charismatic, cheerful guy. He, he's very clever. I mean, he 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 always compliments the, the teams that he's playing. Uh, he always says there's he always talks them up. Uh, he he he. It's like when. Um, I can't remember. There was a game recently when uh, one of our bench did something and uh, he turned around and just absolutely chastised them. I think it was a player or it was a, it was one of our support staff, but he was like, don't, don't feed their energy. Don't give them an excuse to play better. Yeah, it it was um it was uh, Christensen's red card, and apparently some people on the bench were like applauding the ref for rightly showing a red card. Yeah, you know I see it. I know what he's doing. <laughs> he's he's managing situations so well. He's always smiling when when he's like uh, when the when the I mean the press love him, right? It's fun. You, you look at some of these other turgid managers with their kind of tired responses and. They're all just phoning it in. And you come to Klopp's uh, uh, press conference and you just, you know, blinded by his teeth initially, you know, and his, those eyes. And he constantly has a smile. And it's just a joy. I mean, I think people underestimate. I think people, people don't stop to think, Jesus Christ, how amazing is this Liverpool team? What they have achieved. I, I think the pundits are definitely sleeping on what we've been, what we've done in the past two or three years because it's amazing, absolutely amazing. And you know what? All records aside, all matches aside, it's just fun. It's a joy. He's my kind of person. The same way Liverpool is my kind of football team, and my kind of my, scouts are my kind of people. Uh, Jurgen Klopp is my kind of human being and so I just feel privileged that he's our manager at the moment and it's you know long may it last marvellous answer yeah absolutely 63 games unbeaten Robin um, you know Bob Paisley Wow. I mean, I've, I, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I was born in 1980. So, of course, I don't remember the Bob Paisley team. But I do remember 88, you know, around about that, those golden years with, with uh, Barnes, Beardsley, um, you know, Rush, Aldridge. Uh, we had a fantastic team then, but they never managed 63 games. It's an incredible achievement. It's not just Fortress Anfield. They're building a, a nuclear bunker there. What amazing, um, what amazing era to be a uh, local fan in. I, I'm, I'm the same age as you, as Owen, and I remember that superstar team. Um, and um, no matter how much milk I drank, I never got as good as Ian Rush. But it was, <laughs> it, it was a super team then. And we look, compare that to the team that we have now. It just, it, it, it's wiping the record books with the consistency that we have. You know, okay, we haven't won as many trophies as that team, but we're on the start of that journey so let's see where it takes us so the 63 games that we've um not been uh, defeated since that palace defeat a few years ago um it's uh the to put that in comparison the team that with the longest unbeaten home run below us is man city with 37 and manchester united with 36 so man city uh, up until december 2012 and man united's uh, run was in the, the law the latter parts of uh, the 90s the the team ahead of us is chelsea so they had a 86 
uh, game unbeaten run uh, at home at Stamford Bridge, which um, famously Xabi Alonso broke. Um, so we've still got 20-odd, uh, 23-odd games to go uh, to break that record in the English league. But uh, if we look uh, in Europe, I was just looking up what are the longest um, unbeaten runs in Europe. And there's a few ahead of Chelsea. So you've got a few teams like Torino and Nantes and a few others that are around about 80s. And then PSV 93, Red Star Brigade 96. Um and then you got Real Madrid, a whopping 121 games undefeated at home. That was back in uh, from 57 to 65. What a great era that was for Real Madrid. So we've still got a fair way to go there. But at the moment, let's enjoy what it is. It seems three and a half years since the last defeat at Anfield. And this Anfield is without the fans. We always feel as though the fans provide an extra man and the atmosphere uh, edges the players to perform better and makes the opposition team feel inadequate or nervous, especially when they walk out to you know walk alone. Um, and this team, this current squad of team, having to do all of that without the home fans is is is, is, is a, an extra special ask for them, and, and they're doing it really well. So um, 63 games, let's get another 23 and then we'll have the longest run in the English history. Only another 23, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, we've done so well. I mean, even this season, there's a list of injuries that we've had. Um, I actually made a team out of it. We've got Alisson in goal of our injury team. Alisson, Trent, uh, obviously missed a little bit of pre-season. Um Van Dijk, of course, Matip, of course, Costas has been out. Fabinho, Thiago and Henderson have all been out. Uh, Chamberlain, Mane and Shakiri would be the front three. And then on the bench, you've got Joe Gomez and Naby Keita. That's unbelievable. We've got 13 top, unbelievable. I won't say top, top players because that's just too, too, it's overused these, these days. But uh, phenomenal players. Um, and yeah. We've done so well out of adversity, but I want to move, you know, very quickly. If if we have time, gentlemen, if you don't mind, just quickly look at our next games. Atalanta, it makes sense. Lots of other people are saying that it makes sense as well. Um, or, you know, in other podcasts and stuff that that we don't bother too much about Tuesday night because we've got six points from two games Um we're two points ahead. Of course, it would be great to win against Atalanta, but they're doing very well. They're second in Serie A. They're playing amazing football. They don't have the injuries that we have. Um, they were so unlucky to lose to PSG in last season's Champions League. It was just a couple of months ago. They're on, they're on form. They beat Crotone yesterday 2-1. Um, I'm not that bothered about them Brian, so if you very, very quickly talk about Atalanta, but I really want to ask you, Brian, about next week, Manchester City, just how big is this game, in your opinion? Huge, but can I just say, Atalanta are just Everton with a tan, in my in my. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm not on board the Atalanta train. <laughs> Interesting, though. Why, why not? Why not? Just because they play in blue? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> if you look at the results, uh, I mean, I believe they play. I Look, it, I, I haven't watched them play, right? So I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I, You know, just generally in life, you know, definitely about football as well. But, you know, Atlanta, I, I looked at their uh, their results. And as you say, they, they beat uh, Cotione. 
Uh, absolutely savage that uh, the other day. But Cotioli is ended like right at the end of the table. Uh, the other team they play, they beat was also at the end of the table. Uh, and the other team they beat was mid-table. And I think they beat Lazio at the beginning of the season. Um, but they haven't played any of the top teams in Syria uh, at the moment, I believe. So I think they will fall faster than an inappropriate uh, uh, innuendo. Um, so uh, I don't know. But you know what? I think um, you're right. I think I suppose, look, I think we're in a good position in the Champions League and the more important game is City. Um, so and and uh, for me now, um, it's all about managing players and managing the team because just the games just come thick and, th- you know, quick and thick every single uh, week. It's two games. How do you do that? How do you not put those players in the red zone? Um so, yeah, if we can rotate and um, and and take players out, then I would I would do that. I mean, with Bobby, I you know I was I was thinking with Bobby that you know we we play him for this. We do the same thing we did today. You know, we play him for sixty, take him off, bring on Jota, and again start him for City. Um, uh, as well uh, or maybe we flip that maybe we we play jota for 16 and bring bobby on for the past the last uh, uh section of the game um but i would play like players like i would play jones i'd play phillips um you can't you you can't play phillips he's not registered for the champions league so reese williams is probably gonna i yeah i'd play baby verge then yeah i mean look if we're if, if we're all kind of on the same page with this thing and saying okay we can afford to lose and the game against City is more important, and we're not too tough on the team because, you know, what you 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 listen to podcasts and and stuff, and you and you hear people and go, you know what, let's we we can lose this game. You know, the most important game is City, and then the game comes along and we lose, and then you listen to the same podcast, and it's absolutely murder. Right? <laughs> <laughs> They're a shower of arseholes. They're useless. <laughs> You know, and why are we playing seventeen-year-olds in, in a Champions League game? You know, um, um, but you know, so I mean, saying one, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. So I mean, Liverpool fans—they want results, you know. And so, um, I mean, I don't know. You, 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 you probably know a lot more about them than I do. I, mean, I, I, I believe they play a similar style of football to us. I, I've been told. Yeah. Like, I was. I don't. I don't watch them. I only saw them a little bit in the Champions League, but uh, I think they're, you know, they're definitely the second favourites in our group after us. I mean, they're above Ajax in terms of what what people are thinking. But I just, I just can't. I mean, I'm really. I love the Champions League so much, and it's going to be. I'm really going to watch it. But you know, just. I'm just after the two fantastic results. I'm just not that bothered. I'm more bothered about City, Brian. You know what? I would just love to see Henderson and Robertson rested. Yeah, uh, and and Mane as well. At those yeah. three, you know, they yeah. like. I think Trent still needs games. Joe needs games. All the rest of them fine, but but I'd rest Trent as well. I'd rest Trent as well. But uh, yeah, it's a good, it's good thinking. Robin, what would you do against Atalanta? Would you play a reserve team? And then how are you thinking about City on the on the on the weekend as well? Uh, I would go with uh, the Atlanta game. I'd rest my best players. Um, 
I wouldn't um, phrase it like um, I don't mind if we lose. Um, I'd rather say I don't mind if we don't get the three points. I'm, I'd rather go for a draw, obviously. I'm sure all of us would do. But um, I'm also a big fan of getting the Champions League group stages tied up and done and dusted. And if we have one or two matches left, then let's put out some of the younger squad to get some experience and playing in the the big European stadiums um, and I don't like leaving it to the last minute to try and get a Steven Gerrard goal the last second just to get through the next stage um, but with um, the Man City game coming up I think all our eggs have to be in that basket to make sure we'll put down a marker when we go to the Etihad so 8th of November um, Man City also just starting to click up the gears and um, they've got issues with scoring goals but they're still winning games and um, we're going to have a tough test with um, that team against our defence that we have so if we can get uh, our players all rested up and hopefully Thiago's back for that game as well um, he adds a different uh, dimension to our play uh, and we need uh, Bobby Salah Firmino all rested and fully fired up for that match as well so um I would give some of our squad players a chance for the Atlanta game. So some of the players that Brian mentioned, uh, give them opportunity, get Reese Williams in and um, all the players that perhaps don't get as many games and then put our best 11 that we have available for the City match and just try and go for the jugular and kill that um, and extend our leader, leader at the top. Talking about leader at the top, I don't know if you guys are following... Um, Everton pulled a goal back, so it's 2-1 to Newcastle with about 93, 94 minutes played. So if Everton lose, I think we'll be out right. Um, well, we'll have yes. two points clear. And, so, Pick, and Pickford's on the bench. <laughs> and but, but the six minutes of um, injury time and Cavalier got a goal in injury time to make it 2-1. So uh, Newcastle just need to hold on for a little bit longer and um, it'll be a happy weekend. Well, yeah, but it's inevitable. Everton, they, they, you know, they, they—I don't know—they're getting way beyond their their station if they think that they're going to sustain this title, even with Carlo. I think they might finish top four, but they're nowhere near title challenges, nowhere near our level. But uh, that best <clears throat> best team that you talked about um, against Man City. Um, f- correct me if I'm wrong here, Robin, but. It's got to be, of course, Allison in goal, Trent, uh, Matip if he's back, Gomez, Robbo, um, and then in midfield, Thiago, Henderson, and Vinaldum, and then up front, you could argue either way for Firmino or Jota. I could see where you're going. I would, I would play Firmino, um, Mane, and Salah. Right? Is that is that your team as well, Robin? Okay, so, so if we look at Manchester City then, in terms of importance for this match, okay, I looked at a, an interesting XG stats, okay, going back to the, um, what, what was it, 1920, last season, their XG was 102 after 38 games, it's basically two and a half, uh, my maths isn't great, almost three, more than, like 2.8 XG goals a game. Um, and if you go back to the, the, when they when they pipped us to the title by one point, their XG was 93 from 38. It was about 2.5 XG per game. But this season, after, you know, a very small sample size, of course, only six matches, but their XG is nine after six matches. They're only, 
they've dropped by an entire goal in terms of expected goals. Um, I think they've got tons of problems. I've, I say it every week, and I just want your take on it, Robin, because my prediction is that City will, will, they might get 85 points tops this season. I don't know. What do you think, Robin? That's good stats there, Owen. Um, I think as a one-off game, it'll be tough because anybody can bring the A game along. Um, they've obviously got problems with their attack. So uh, Sergio Aguero, as, as masterful and as a legend as he, he has been for the Premier League era, he's not on the right side of 30 and he, he's not ever going to be as good as he used to be. I've never been a massive fan of Jesus. I don't think he can carry that mantle. He's a decent striker, but not to the elk that Man City need to aspire to, to be able to dominate the Premier League and Europe. I don't think it's the same kind of player. Uh, they've got uh, uh, Tora, um, Torres as well, Fran Torres. He's okay. He's, he's also like one of these uh, attacking winger strikers um, like Mane and Salah, but he's got a lot to do to be able to catch up for that. So the, most of the goals are being relied upon the tapping that Sterling scores. Um, and he's he's not bad. He's he's growing in stature. So they've got problems in creating. No, sorry, beg your pardon. Um, De Bruyne is a beast at creating. They've got problem in scoring the goals, and I think that could be their undoing. So they've bolstered a lot of their defence, and they seem to have got a good balance this season compared to the injuries they had last season. But I don't see where all these goals are going to be coming from. Uh, Mares will pick up a few and players here will pick up a few. But I think you need to be hitting um, Well, They've nearly got 100 goals or they did get 100 goals last season. They won't get anything near that. And that might be their undoing. Um, but I think against the game with us, um, as, as below par of the attack is, the same could be said for our defence as well. Um, so that might make things a bit more interesting. If our attack uh, perform and get the first goal and force Man City to create uh, spaces for us, I think we can go to town on them. It'll be a good game. Um, but they are, what, 11 points at the moment, five behind us? Uh, I think they've got a game in hand. So if they if they win a game in hand, so it's what, just two, two points in. Um, so it's not a massive gap at the moment. Um, so if we can get a little bit of daylight against them at the Etihad, that'd be really good. Um, and I think if we um, win a game or win a few games or start creeping away from them, I think they're, um, they might lose that momentum or that uh, that steel that they've had for the last two, three years. Well, not last season, the two, three years before that, of this winning mentality of just being awesome. I think a little bit of that aura will just be eroded away. And I think, that's an important part of why I think we need to uh, beat them. As messy and strange as this season has been, you can't deny that we're still top of the league and 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 um, normal players resumed. And I think the rest of the league will see that and won't be surprised. But if Man City are dropping points like United and Arsenal and um, and uh, Chelsea as well uh, and Tottenham, then they just become part of the mix of the mid-table rubbish. Um, and we just carry on concentrating on winning a second title in a row. So hopefully Man City won't won't be a threat for us this season, but we've got to play our part to make sure that doesn't happen. Lovely answer. Thank you very much. Yes, um, 
Wow, and I think that's I think that more or less wraps it up for today. Because uh, I don't know, we we all have lives to lead. I did did just uh, check on Google. Everton have lost to Newcastle, so uh, <laughs> they are uh, <laughs> they're good value. Bless them, um, bless the F. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so so much. It's been a real pleasure. I love talking to you today we've gone way over the time that we normally do so um i just really want to thank you for for taking you know taking a few moments from your day to talk about jürgen's relentless rocket reds who yet again have come up with the goods thank you thank you thank you, thank you.